So John Tell Franklin's mother lost her battle with cancer February the 7th, 2009. John Tell was a senior on the Milwaukee Madison High School basketball team. He was supposed to play a game that night. Many thought that he wouldn't show up, and he said he wouldn't. But then midway through the second quarter, he showed up. He was put into the game, but immediately the buzzer sounded and they called a technical foul because his name was not on the roster on the books. The coaches and the referees met at center court. The coaches, both teams said, wait a minute, this is not right. This kid's mother died. He wants to play. He changed his mind. We should let him play. Don't, don't call the technical foul that you're supposed to call. But the referee said the rules are the rules. And so they called a technical foul. The coach of the other team sent Darius McNeil to the line to shoot the two technical foul shots. As Darius was walking out, the coach said, you know what to do. And Darius nodded his head. When he received the ball from the referee to shoot the foul shot, he dumped the ball two feet in front of him and it rolled out of bounds. The second shot, he dumped it two feet and it rolled out of bounds. Darius did what was right at the time. He didn't take advantage of the situation. He didn't try to make the free throws to give his team an advantage because of a kid that couldn't make up his mind what to do in the light of the situation of his mother dying. It's not every day people have the courage to do what's right in the midst of a difficult situation. Progressively, we live in this increasingly immoral world where everybody wants to do what's right for me. Everybody wants to do what, what gives me the advantage, what, what takes care of me. I don't care about anybody else. But Darius did what was right in that situation. We live in a culture, even today, where more and more we see what's wrong, what used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong. It's getting worse every day. And the Bible says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. So we need to be thinking about what we call evil and what we call good. And what is right and what is wrong. And it takes courage to do that. Christ wants us to stand up for what's right. He's counting on us. He's given us his message to bring to the world. And he's counting on us to do that. He sent us. We, we saw last week how he sent us into the world to bring his message to lost and dying people. It never ceases to thrill me to see a baptism, especially, as Chris said, of one of the young ones that I know their life now is set on a better path than it was when they go the way of the world. And that's what Christ has called us to do, to go out into the world and bring the message of salvation through Jesus Christ into this world. But it's not always easy. And the world will snap back at you. It takes courage to stand up for Christ. We continue our series today on the book of Acts. It's called The Church is Born. The book of Acts is a history of how the church got started and the first few years of the church and how the, 
gospel message spread and congregations sprang up all over the known world, the Roman Empire in that day. And today we're going to look at a message entitled Courage for Christ. Because it takes courage to live this kind of life that Christ has called us to. And I raise the question today, what does Christian courage look like? You know, the Apostle Paul was a great example of what courage looked like. There are other men in the Bible that were great examples too. I think about Joshua. Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And Joshua led the Hebrew people out of slavery and into the promised land to take that land over. I think about King David before he was king. He was a young shepherd boy. And when, when the army of the Hebrew people could not stand against uh, the great giant Goliath, David, this little shepherd boy, took courage and he went and fought Goliath who had sword and spear and shield. David went with merely a slingshot and took care of God's business. But I think about the Apostle Paul and all that he faced. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've been in prison because of his faith. I've been exposed to death. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers and bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've gone without sleep and known hunger and thirst and gone without food and been cold and naked. Besides that, I face daily the pressure of the concern for all the churches. He's been through it. It, took, it takes courage to stand and do what the Apostle Paul did. That's why we're going to look at his story today here in Acts chapter 21 through 26 and see just how he had courage to stand for Christ against all odds and everything he was up against. So we'll begin today at Acts chapter 21. If you remember last week, we ended in Acts chapter 20, and he had uh, gone to the coast there, close to Ephesus, where he had spent three years, and he called for the Ephesian elders. He wanted to say some final words to them. He really had a heart for those elders at that church, and that was one of the great churches in the early days. And uh, uh, he had completed his second and his third missionary journey, gone all the way into Greece and Macedonia. And now he's, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He said he was in a hurry because he wanted to reach Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. You can go through the book of Acts, uh, chapters 18, 19, 20, along in there, and count up the days, and he's getting close to the time of Pentecost. And he's kind of trying to hurry. And we begin chapter 21. And I love what it says. After we had torn ourselves away from them. He, he had to make himself leave those elders because he cared so much about them and their ministry. But anyway, it says he got on a ship and he continued his voyage back toward Jerusalem. Finally ends up at Caesarea, uh, the coast where you come into the coast to get to Jerusalem, and then he headed for Jerusalem. Before he did that, he stayed with Philip, 
Now, Philip was one of those seven who were made the first deacons in Acts chapter 6 that we studied a few weeks ago. And uh, he stayed there with Philip. And while he was with Philip, a prophet from Jerusalem came down and said, Paul, look, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be turned over to the, to the, uh, the, the Gentiles and you're probably going to be put in prison, so you better be careful about going. But they couldn't dissuade Paul. He was dead set on going to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders in the church and let them know how things were going with his ministry and on the journeys he'd been on. It had been several years since he had been to Jerusalem. So he heads on his way. And when he, uh, uh, when he arrives at Jerusalem, everybody greeted him, welcomed him. They were so thankful to hear the news of how many Gentile people were coming to Christ and coming to know the Lord Jesus. But they said, there's one problem. A lot of the Jews have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they hear that you're teaching Jews not to follow the law of Moses and not to have their children circumcised anymore, which was not true. But Paul, Paul, they said, uh, here's what we want you to do. We, we want to show people that you still follow the law of Moses. And so they, uh, they had four guys that had taken a vow. There was a vow that Jews would sometimes take uh, called the Nazarite vow, and it was to show their faithfulness to the Lord and and these Jews had taken that vow, and they said, you join these guys. In fact, you pay for their sacrifices, and that will show the people that you are committed still, that you are still a committed Jew. It's not that they had to do that to be saved. It was that they wanted to do that to show their faith in God. And so Paul agrees to do that, and you had to schedule a time when you made that sacrifice seven days you had to go to the priest, and then seven days later, you would go and make the sacrifice, and that would confirm your commitment to the Lord. And we pick up the story in verse 27, Acts chapter 21. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. In parentheses, it says, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him to the temple. What does Christian courage look like? First of all, it's courage under criticism. Paul was certainly being criticized. They said, oh, he's teaching against the Jews, he's teaching against the law, he's teaching against the temple, he's teaching against everything. Beside that, he defiled our temple, and he brought people in here that were, that were not Jewish. Gentiles are strictly forbidden. And the whole city blew up, and they were running around everywhere. Uh, they were shouting, and they were beating Paul. However, the commander of the Roman army heard the commotion, and he came running. He thought Paul was this Egyptian guy who had 
rounded up a bunch of people and was riding against the Jews and standing against the Jews, and he thought he was making a ruckus, and so he arrested him. Later, Paul got the Roman commander straightened out. But Paul was being criticized for things he didn't even do. It's interesting. They complained that he wasn't keeping the law, yet they grabbed him and started beating him before he ever stood trial. They were breaking their own law. I love it, though. The Apostle Paul stayed cool. You know, he was a great man of God. He trusted Jesus Christ all the way. He was a brilliant man. Many great men throughout and down through the centuries have faced criticism. I like what Abraham Lincoln once said. You can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time. But you can't please all of the people all of the time. How true that is. I was just thinking this week about the great D.L. Moody. He was a preacher back right around the time of the Civil War. After the Civil War, he became a popular preacher in America, and he even went into Britain and preached. And back in that day, it was amazing. He would preach to crowds of thousands of people. They had to find places that could hold that many people, often great theaters or, or outdoors. They would set up places where thousands. They said after the Civil War, he became so popular when he preached in America or in and around Chicago, where he was from, there would be between twelve and 20,000 people that would show up to hear Moody preach. He was a dynamic speaker. He was what we would say today, kind of in your face a little bit. And he used some humor in his preaching. It was something people had never seen, this style of preaching before. But he was a great evangelist. And literally thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because of D.L. Moody's preaching. But a lot of people criticized him. They didn't like the way he preached. They didn't like the way he did evangelism. One lady told him right to his face, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you evangelize. Moody said to her, ma'am, how, how do you evangelize? She said, I don't. He said, I like my way better. One time he was going up to preach, and the usher handed him a folded paper, a note. He thought it was an announcement that somebody wanted him to make. Maybe they were having something in the community or something. But when he opened up the paper, there was just one word on the paper, and it said, fool. Moody looked at that and said, hmm, this note I got reads fool. He said, that's the first time. He said, I, I've gotten a lot of letters where they had the message and they didn't sign it. He said, that's the first time I ever got one where they signed it and forgot to write the message. But he was criticized. All preachers, all people of God, eventually, if you're sharing the gospel message with people in your community, you'll be criticized. But Paul stood firm. Courage, even under criticism. He believed what he was telling. He stood on the Bible. He was not ashamed to testify to the truth. So Paul addresses this 
commander of the Roman guard. And he spoke in Greek. It's clear to make sure that we know. He spoke to the Roman in Greek because that was the language of the world in that day. And that was certainly the language of this Roman commander. He got that thing about being the Egyptian guy straightened out. And they knew he wasn't him. But then he asked the commander, can I speak to the crowd? I want to speak to these Jews who have gathered here to persecute me. And the commander gave him permission, and he began to speak. But then it makes a point to say that he spoke in Aramaic. Now, Aramaic was the, was the language of the Jews by the first century. Their original language was Hebrew, but by the first century, they had come to speak the Aramaic language in Judea. And he said, listen. And they did when they heard him speak in their language. He said, I'm a Jew too. In fact, he said, when this whole thing about Christ started, I persecuted Christians. I drug them off to jail and brought them to Jerusalem to be punished. And what he does is he launches then into his own personal testimony. Listen to this. About noon I came near, this is verse 6, chapter 20, 22. About noon as I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. You will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So Paul moves on into Damascus. What does Christian courage look like? It's courage through personal experience. You see, Paul went through being ridiculed, being criticized, having all kind of stuff, but he knew what the Lord had spoke to him. He knew what the Lord had done for him. Again, this is the second time that Luke records in the book of Acts Paul's testimony. Back in chapter 9, uh, we saw that. And now here in chapter 22, and Paul tells the crowd how it all played out after that. He went to Damascus, a man named Ananias, who was well-respected by both Jews and Greeks alike, came and told him, get up and be baptized, wash your sins away. And Paul began his ministry for Jesus. It's hard to argue with somebody's personal testimony when they say, this is what happened to me. This is... What happened to me? How God got into my life and changed my life. And certainly Paul's life was changed com completely. He went from prosecutor of the way to promoter of the way. I love the story of uh, Steve Yeshik. Steve was a pastor and he tells about his sister Judy and he said, Judy was a party girl. She loved to drink alcohol. And she was indulgent, self-indulgent. And she 
didn't care about anybody but herself, but she was lively and, and had a lot of friends, and she was just self-absorbed. And he often tried to share the gospel with her to lead her to Jesus Christ, and she didn't want any part of it. And then one day, Judy went to the doctor, and she found out she had breast cancer, and it was far advanced. And then she found out her husband had cancer too. And then she found out her husband was having an affair and was leaving her. And here she was all alone, and she was all by herself to suffer with this devastating disease that she had that was certain to lead to death. She was at rock bottom. And Steve went to her, her brother, and he led her to Christ. And she totally changed. She began to read the Word of God. She began to, to focus her whole life around Jesus and what she needed to do. And she began to tell others about how Christ had come into her life, about how Christ had changed her life. And she was in the hospital. And she decided she was going to get out of the hospital and she was going to have a baptism service, a special service, and she was going to invite all of her friends and all of her family to come see her baptized. And when she had that baptism service, she got up before she was baptized and gave her testimony. And at that baptism service, her 84-year-old father also accepted Christ and was baptized, along with her ex-husband, a number of nieces, a college roommate, her aunt, her sister, and several others were baptized that day because of her testimony. She had courage because she knew what Jesus had done to her heart. And she wanted others to know that too. Ten days later, she died. She had pre-written her funeral message, which was again her testimony. And her brother read that testimony at her funeral service. And of all the people that came, 100 people gave their life to Jesus Christ that day because of her testimony. They knew the truth about Jesus Christ. It's a powerful thing. Personal testimony. People can't argue with it. Paul spoke his. But when he mentioned leading the Gentiles to Christ, several of the Jews in the crowd didn't like that. They listened to Paul until he got to that point, and then they cried, rid the earth of him. We want him gone. We want him dead. Luckily, the centurion was there. He directed that Paul be flogged. And so they took him into the barracks, and one of the centurions was about to perform this beating. And Paul said, is it legal to beat a Roman citizen without him being found guilty of anything? Everybody backed up then. They didn't realize Paul was a Roman citizen. In that day, a Roman soldier's job was to protect the Roman citizens. And if they had not gone through due process to find Paul guilty of a crime, they were in big trouble for even thinking about beating him. So the commander came and talked to him. In fact, he was so scared he had Paul released, but had him agree to come and meet with the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the next day, and they did. 
We get into chapter 23, and Paul stands up, and he says, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. When the high priest, the head of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, heard him mention God, he had those around him smack him in the mouth. And Paul said, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to your law, yet you violate the law by having me struck, which it was. He had not been found guilty of anything yet. So even the Jewish rulers were breaking their own law in their persecution of Paul. Somebody said, how dare you insult the high priest? And Paul said, I didn't even realize he was a high priest. He sure wasn't acting like one. Chapter 23, verse 6, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but Pharisees believe all these things. Remember, we studied. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. You're supposed to laugh, right? That's in my notes. People laugh. Well, you go on, there was this great uproar and everything. People, people are going crazy to arguing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are all arguing. What does Christian courage look like? It's courage because of the resurrection. You see, because Paul knew the resurrection was true, he could have courage. The Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus, had spoken directly to Paul. Paul had hung out with the apostles who had hung out with the resurrected Jesus. They had eaten with him. He had taught them. He had given, given them their mission. Don't discount that little piece of evidence about the truth of the resurrection. It was to change lives in these men. These men put their lives on the line. They faced jail and beatings and prison and stoning and every kind of persecution that you can imagine. They faced it because of their faith in going out and telling the Christian story of Jesus being the Savior for all. And ultimately, every one of the apostles was put to death because of their faith except for John the Apostle. You don't die for a lie. They all had the opportunity to say, never mind, it's not true, don't kill me. But they didn't because they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And remember, when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, as we studied back in Acts chapter 4, early in this series, in verse 13, they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw their courage. And why did they have courage? 
because they knew the resurrection was true. And Paul is confident in the resurrection. So confident that in, ver in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, none of this gospel is true. It all hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The Roman commander found out that some of the Jewish people had a plan to kidnap Paul from the Romans and take him off and have him put to death. Since Paul was a Roman citizen and his job was to protect Paul, he decided to have Paul sent to Caesarea over on the coast where he could stand trial before the governor of that area, Governor Felix. And they sent him off to that place. And when Felix heard Paul's testimony, he didn't think there was a lot to it, that Paul should be put to death. He thought this is a religious matter, not a civil matter. I don't even know why I'm dealing with it. But Felix decided he wanted to hold Paul for a while. He was trying to get a bribe from Paul. So he kept him for a little while, in fact, two years. And then Felix was called away, and a new governor was important appointed Governor Festus, and Festus came in, and he wanted to handle this matter quickly because he wanted to please the Jewish people who made up the greater population of the area he was governor of. And while he was there in Caesarea, come to be the new governor, King Agrippa, who was part of an adjacent area that he was over, came to pay his respects and welcome him as the new governor brought his wife, and they came in with all their, their pomp and stance, and, and Festus wanted them to hear the case and see what their opinion was. They agreed that probably wasn't anything to this case. It was more of a religious matter, not deserving death. It was a difference of opinion about beliefs rather than some capital offense where he should be put to death. And once again, in chapter 26, Paul recounts his testimony. Talking about Jesus, this guy that was raised from the dead, speaking to him. And when he finished with his testimony, King Agrippa, or Festus, the governor, said to him, Paul, you're out of your mind. And listen to what Paul replied, verse 25, chapter 26. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him, and I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you believe the prophets. I know you do. Now, you see, King Agrippa had a number of his subjects under his kingship that were Jewish. And he knew all about the Jewish beliefs. So I want you to see now, what does Christian courage look like? Courage for standing for truth. And Paul stood for what he knew to be true. Why would he lie? Why would any of the apostles lie? They had seen the resurrected Jesus. Why would they, why would they make that up? What did they have to gain? You know, lies are going to, they're going to come out eventually. When you lead a web of deception, it's going to come unwound at some point. 
Even the scripture says, Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. It's eventually going to be revealed, and you're going to be in trouble. I love the story of the woman on her way home from work, and she needs some meat for, for um, supper, so she sees a sign on the local butcher shop that says chickens for sale, and she goes in to get one of these chickens that's on sale, whole chicken, and it's late in the afternoon, and the butcher, she says, I need a chicken, and he pulls one out of the barrel and puts it up on the scale, and tells her how much it is, and, and she says, uh, well, that's not quite enough. So he puts it back in the barrel and swishes it to last chicken, and he swishes it around and pulls it out and puts it on the scale, and he said, well, here's another one, one pound more. And she said, oh, well, I guess I'll just take both of them. Be sure your sin will find you out. Why would they lie? Truth is, the gospel's been going on for 2,000 years now. And many people have tried to poke holes in it, tried to discount it, tried to say it's contradictory, it's unbelievable, it's all just a myth. But there's always somebody who can say, no, here's why it's not. And somebody, if you talk to the right person, that can explain it to you and help you come to see the truth of the gospel. In fact, there's a forensic detective, he's retired now, J. Warner Wallace, and there's an article he's written, an atheist cold case detective investigates Jesus' resurrection. He actually went to the Middle East and looked in and did this investigation to see if he could prove. He was an atheist, he didn't believe, he wanted to prove it, that it wasn't real. What he wound up doing was proving to himself that it was. And he said there are four points that really we need to center on when we think about this as he got into this investigation. And he said all four of these points, both believers and unbelievers can agree to. Number one, Jesus died on the cross and was buried. Number two, Jesus' tomb was empty and no one ever produced a body. Believers and unbelievers both believe those. Number three, Jesus' disciples believed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Everybody agrees with that. They wrote the New Testament. Number four, Jesus' disciples were transformed following their alleged resurrection observation. Everybody agrees with that. They went and they started the church. They were, they were changed men. And he said, if you take those four points and you go in and you start to break them down and you look at them, any argument against it doesn't hold water. The mere fact that those men's lives were changed and they went out and they started the church shows that it's true that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and men preached the word and told the world. That's why they had such courage. And there's ample reason for us today to have courage to, to take this gospel message out into the world and share Christ with other people. I love the words back here. Back up just a little bit in verse 26 when Jesus appeared to Paul. Verse 15, Then I ask, Who are you, Lord? That's Paul speaking. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open up their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. From that point on, Paul was saved. He knew the gospel and he preached the gospel. He knew Jesus and he had faith in Jesus and he had courage to tell the message. And our connection today is that courage for Christ is strengthened by genuine faith in Christ. If you really believe, you can have courage to tell the gospel. We can believe. I love what he said to King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Do you believe the prophets? Because there are over 300 prophecies that point to Jesus as being the Messiah and being risen from the dead. We can stand. We can leave this place today with courage that Jesus is the Christ, as the little girl said in her confession, the Son of the living God and my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your people, your men and women who stood for you. And I think especially about the Apostle Paul. I think about those other great heroes, Joshua and David. They stood for what they knew to be true, but Jesus was the fulfillment of what they knew to be true. And Paul comes along and Man, he just went out and he took it to the whole Roman Empire as best he could. And he preached in the, in the face of, of trouble and persecution and shipwrecks and beatings and going without food and all that stuff. And Lord, he said, I believe in Jesus. And I want you people to believe in Jesus too. And many did. And they are saved. And they have a place, as the Bible says, sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for us all to know that truth. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.